Acts chapter number number 20 is our text this morning, verses 17 down through verse 27. And to pick it up uh, with me as I begin to read, this is um, really a great, a great portion of Scripture. Um, and I always say that all Scripture is great as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoy doing when, um, you know, Ethan's away and get to the pulpit here, uh, is sometimes rework a message that I've preached through the years because that message meant something to me. I always, whenever I would put a message together, I was always looking to preach to myself in the message. And whatever I could take and glean from the scriptures, uh, wanted to make application to my own life. Um, so that uh, it was just personal. And, you know, it's the... the it was just important to me. I wanted God to speak to my heart. I always would try to read through the scriptures and just have a dictionary and a concordance, look for God to give me a, an outline, put that outline together, let the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And after I had kind of put the bones together with regards to the sermon, knew where I was going and put as much down on paper as I could, I would then look to commentaries, especially early on in my ministry, because as a young preacher, I, I was always excited sometimes. I'd put a message together, and then I'd read a commentary, and I would see that whoever was writing that commentary came up with many of the same thoughts. That's because all the thoughts come from the Holy Spirit. Amen? And uh, so it was just affirmation for me, especially as a young preacher. But this is a message that um, I've reworked and preached this message many years ago. Um, and it's the type of thing that just kind of helps me. I just wanted to preach something to you this morning that uh, was simple. I knew it was hot. It's been probably a tiring week. And um, I want you to see this here. Um, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27. The Bible says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. Of course, that'll be Paul. And called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We ask and pray, Lord, that you would bless Lord, the preaching of the Word this morning. I pray that you'd help me as I bring this message. I pray, Lord, that these points would sink into our hearts and that they would be useful to us, beneficial. Be with those who are watching the live stream this morning. I pray, Lord, uh, those that are at home, Lord, that you would draw them to you as well. Maybe there's someone here or someone that's watching that have never received Christ Jesus as their Savior. I would ask and pray, Lord. I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move upon their hearts and cause them to realize that they're lost and on their way to a Christless eternity. There's a God in heaven who loves them. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a rugged cross, a cruel cross, a bloody cross. That they will play, if they will place their faith and trust in Him, He'll give them eternal life, save them from their sin, and have a home in heaven, undefiled and reserved for them. Those of our number that may be working this morning, Lord, we ask and pray that You would just help them to sense Your presence at the workplace, those that are not feeling well, we, we pray, Lord, your healing hand would be upon them. We think of those that may be discouraged for one reason or another and just didn't come this morning. We pray, Lord, that not only you, but we also would be an encouragement to them to come and gather with your people. So none of the preaching of your word and to lift up our voices in worship and praise. But thank you again for this day and each and every day that you give us. Thank you most of all for the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, so I was putting this message together. I almost put a message together called No Retreat, only instead of it saying N-O, it was going to say K-N-O-W. And the reason for that was I just finished reading through the book of Judges in my devotions. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that the book of Judges is about the Israelites. They served God, and then they retreated. They got away from God. And then they served God, and then they retreated. They got away from God. And God would raise up different men to bring them back to Him. And raised up one woman in particular. Her name was Deborah. God used her as well. And I thought about putting that message together. In fact, in the book of Judges, you hear this often. In fact, this, these words are found, I think, some 12 times. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God, and they served Balaam and the groves. Twelve times you read that. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were drawn away from the Lord. And if you read through the book of Judges, uh, it's a great lesson how you can know what it takes to retreat in a negative way. You don't, you don't want to retreat from the things of God. Amen? But they did. But then it was a hot week and I wanted to do some reading. And so I read, a, I read a biography that I've read before. And I've always enjoyed reading missionary biographies. So this past week, I read the biography of Charles Thomas Studd. And uh, he has an amazing story. And before I'm going to share a little bit about Stud's life with you and draw it into the message, I always want to give this qualifier when I talk about the life of a missionary or life of someone else. This is Charles, I'm going to call him C.T. because that's what he was known as, C.T. Stud's story. And when I tell you about his life and the things that he did for the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean that God is calling you to do the same thing. Because he did some miraculous things. 
But whether it's in the Bible or whether it's the great cloud of witness that we have around us that Hebrews talks about, meaning men and women of the past who serve the Lord, we're not necessarily to follow them step by step, but we can see in their lives how the Lord worked and what the Lord did. So keep that in mind as I tell you some of the things with regards to C.P. Studd. And so that's really the title to the message. The title to the message is a, the book, the biography. It's called No Retreat. So C.T. Studd was born in the 1800s. And uh, C.T. Studd was born to a very, very wealthy family. His father's name was Edward Studd. Edward Studd had gone to India and he'd made a fortune in India. At this time, as the book picks up the life of C.T. Studd, and actually somewhat of his brothers as well, uh, they were all enrolled at a very prestigious school in England called Eton. Well, during that time, the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, was preaching in Europe. He had risen to popularity in America, preaching as a very simple man, preached a very simple message. Well, Edward Studd was invited to hear D.L. Moody preach and Ira Sankey preach. And he went to those revival meetings and those meetings and Edward Studd, who was from the Anglican church, very high church, very formal, heard Moody preach and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and he got saved. Well, he was so excited about his newfound faith in Christ that he sent for his sons to come home one weekend. So the boys had no idea that their father had gone to these meetings. And when they received word that dad had invited them home, they thought they were in for some great, exciting, and fun weekend to spend with their dad. And so they got there, and their dad met them, and he said uh, their, their hopes are all raised. And uh, their dad said, listen, I, I want you to come hear a man that I've heard. His name is D.L. Moody. And Stud says his heart and his brother's heart just sank. What in the world is going on with Dad? He's become some religious zealot. So they went. And they heard Moody preach. When they got back to their house, their dad had taken some rooms in the house. Big, huge, palatial home. And he had set up chairs and set up pulpits. And they would, he would invite people to come. And there would be preaching in the home. And the boys were just like, what is going on here? Except the Holy Spirit began to work in all three of the sons. And it was a family friend that confronted them. It was a family friend that shared the gospel again with them. And all three of them accepted Christ as their Savior. Well, they went back to school. And C.T. Studd's own admission was for the next six years, he, came, he lived as a believer a very lukewarm Christian life. He had made a genuine profession of faith in Christ, but in some ways he was like, and this is my term, he was like a judge's Christian. Sometimes he'd serve the Lord and other times he'd get away. And then he'd serve the Lord and he'd get away. At the same time, he and his brothers became famous in England. They played the sport of cricket. 
which I really know, I know more about the crickets, the cricket, than I do about cricket. But it was big in England at the time. It would be like Major League Baseball today. They were known nationally as some of the best cricket players. A professional career awaited them. Money was no object as far as getting out of school after they were done with college. Their father was exceedingly wealthy. But now, one of C.T. Studd's older brothers got very sick, almost died. And at that particular time, it was when the Spirit of God moved upon C.T. Studd's life, and C.T. Studd became serious about his Christianity. He begged God to save his brother's life, which God did. He then enrolled in Cambridge. And in Cambridge, there was a famous group of men called the Cambridge Seven. You can Google that. You'll find out about the Cambridge Seven. But the Cambridge Seven are called Cambridge Seven are called that because the famous missionary from the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor, had come home from the mission field and he was visiting colleges, and he was exhorting the young people to go to the mission field. And those seven men—that's why they're called the Cambridge Seven. They all surrendered to go to the mission field, all from wealthy families, all with their lives planned out. That movement was taking place right, by the way, right around the time that this church was built in, the, in 1890. The same thing was happening on American campuses. There was a huge revival that was taking place. So Stud was burdened to go to Africa. And he went. His family tried to talk him out of it. His friends tried to talk him out of it. But he says, no, God's burdened me to go to Africa. Excuse me, to go to, 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 go to China. And so he went, leaving everything behind. While he was there, his father died. His father left him an inheritance of 29,000 pounds. I googled that this morning to see what that would be worth today. His father left him, and first I thought it was billion, but it was actually 1.2 million dollars was his inheritance. He was so committed to the cause of Christ, and so dependent by now on the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gave all of it away. He took 25% of it and gave it to D.L. Moody. That's how the Moody Bible Institute was started in Chicago. He gave another 25% of it and gave it to William Booth. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. He gave another 25% of it to George Mueller, who was starting orphanages in England. And he gave the other 25% to another man, I believe his name was Whitehall, who was dealing with all the poor in England. He said, if I'm going to serve the Lord, he said, I don't, he said, I, I don't want to depend upon my inherited wealth. I just want to depend upon what the Lord does in my life. So he got to China. He ministered in China. He spent, I believe, 15 years in China, and then the Lord called him to go to India. He spent another 10 years starting and establishing churches in India. While he was in India, the doctors told him, CT, your, your health is so poor that you need to go back to England. You're not going to live but more, a couple of more years. According to the biography that he read, he kind of chuckled at the doctors. And in fact, one night, one of the doctors said, you can't go out tonight. You're too ill. He went out and he preached for an hour and a half. He came back to England and he, like 
Hudson Taylor began to exhort men and women to go to the mission field. And then God began to burden his heart to go to Africa. The doctor said, you can't go to Africa, you'll die in Africa. He said, no, no, I want to go to Africa. God's called me to go to Africa. And so that's where C.T. Studd headed for Africa. While in India, he met his wife Priscilla. She was from Ireland, and they married him. She was burdened for the mission field as well. Came, also came from a wealthy family. By the way, she never did get to Africa until many years. See, she was not in the greatest of health either. After India, she, they went back to England, and she stayed in England, and he went to Africa alone without his wife. Well, he spent the next close to 20 years in Africa establishing churches in the Sudan and in the Congo. Many years after he'd been there, his wife finally came to Africa to visit him. She was so astonished at how he looked. He lost all of his teeth. His health was terribly poor. He just didn't feel like God was calling him to go back to England. And he just preached and he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and then God took him home. So I've always read the story of that man who could have really lived a life of ease and how God burdened his heart. And I was attracted to that book when I saw no retreat, no retreat. And of course, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is a great example of a man who didn't retreat either. Amen? The example. In fact, look on your handout. Here's some things that the Apostle Paul dealt with. And that's really, I'm going to kind of move the message now in that direction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, listen to what it says. Or look on your handout. This is what Paul experienced. By the way, a man who also came from a well-known family, could have lived a very prestigious life, powerful life, but counted it, the book said, the Bible says in the book of Philippians, I count it all but dung that I may win Christ, he said. He said, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. And what was Paul's reward at the end of his life? He was arrested. He was thrown in prison and they cut off his head. No retreat. No retreat. And here Paul meets with the church in Ephesus. It'll be the last time that he'll ever see them. And he's emphasizing to them, listen, listen, I want you to see something here. He says, I want you to understand. You need to keep moving forward. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Philippians chapter 3. We'll see it later on in the message. I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Those were the last words my father spoke to me. Press on. Press on. 
Press on. Press on. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this morning, Christianity needs men and women and boys and girls who will press on for the cause of Christ, who will not retreat in the day and age in which we live, despite all of the social pressures, despite all of the uh, everything, that the political pressures and, and all the economic pressures. The church of Jesus Christ needs men and women that will press on for the cause of Christ, that retreat will not be in their vocabulary. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. The great preacher Lee Robertson on the bottom of page one, and we'll flip this over in a minute, said this, Nothing but encouragement can come to us as we dwell upon the faithful dealing of our Heavenly Father in centuries gone by. Faith in God has not saved people from hardship and trials, but it has enabled them to bear tribulation courageously and to emerge victoriously. Listen, you and I are on the victory side. Amen? The victory side. Victory in Jesus, that old hymn of the faith. And so in Paul's life, he meets with these with these brothers in, in, in Ephesus and these sisters in Ephesus, in, in Ephesus. And he calls the elders in verse 17. He gathers them there. And they come to him. And these just simple points that I put down on the back of your handout. How is it that you and I, in the day and age in which we are going to live, can be sure we're not like the believers in the book of Judges? Serving, falling back. Serving, falling back. But we can be more like what Paul wrote. Pressing on. Pressing on, pressing on. Well, I think there's some simple answers that Paul gives us here. There's a pattern that he gives us. There's a formula, if you will. And of course, we understand that all of this is dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives. But Paul says this in verse 19 of our text. As he meets with them, he says uh, to, to, the, to the elders there, he says, in giving an account of his life. Well, let me pick it up in verse 18. When they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And here's really point number one. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Listen, if you and I are going to be believers who do not retreat, we must be involved in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. To serve Him. That's really the what and the how and the where and the when of our faith. How are we serving the Lord? So I guess part of my hope this morning in the message is you just kind of step back and take stock in how am I serving the Lord? What am I doing for the Lord's sake? In the book of Colossians chapter 4.17, the Bible says, And to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou, hast, that thou fulfill it. Listen, all of us have a ministry that God has called us to. Learn to fulfill whatever that ministry is that God has called you to. And I necessarily can't tell you what that ministry is. You need to allow God to tell you what that ministry is. And it, it could be many different things. Uh, that, you know, some are more obvious than others. But there is a ministry that God wants you to fulfill. It's the purpose for your life. When you came to know Christ as your Savior, when you were born again to the family of God, there's a plan that God has for your life. Seek out God's direction. Seek out God's um, uh, guidance with regards to that. Verse 19 says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and the many tears and temptations. Just wanted to serve God. We read there in 2 Corinthians all that he experienced. None of that caused him to stop serving the Lord. 
just one of those things that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 would cause many people to just kind of throw up their hands and say, I've had enough of this. Or you think of the apostles' lives, many of them, Peter imprisoned and, and the martyrs' deaths that they all faced, all dying, many of them in poverty. And even as the church moved on after the first century of the church, uh, the difficulties that they faced. But they just kept serving and serving and serving and serving. That's part of the plan that God has for each of our lives, that we won't retreat. But secondly, look in verse 20. It speaks of the selflessness of the Apostle Paul. And he said, and I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. He gave his all. You know, in sports, they call it leaving it all on the field. You left, they left it all on the field. They didn't hold back anything. I was watching a baseball game the other night, and one of the players, he got an infield hit, and he kind of jogged to first base. Because he knew he was going to get thrown out. Well, that's not proper baseball protocol. One of my favorite old-time players, he's been retired for many years, was a player for the Yankees called Bernie Williams. It didn't matter, and I'm sure if you have other teams, you know of players on your team that did the same thing. Whenever Bernie made contact, he ran as hard and as fast as he could to first base. Even when he knew he was going to be out. He just left it all on the field. I was watching a documentary the other night about Derek Jeter, and uh, when he became a player, uh, Don Mattingly was the first baseman for the Yankees. And they were out in a ball field down in Tampa where the spring training is, kind of a backfield. And this is what Derek Jeter said Don Matt Mattingly taught him. They were coming in, and Don Mattingly turned to Jeter, and he said, listen, let's sprint back. And Jeter said, well, why? He said, because you never know who's watching. You never know who's watching. He was building in Derek Jeter character. And um, you and I, the selfness, just leaving it all on the field. Second um, Corinthians on your handout. And I will very gladly, Paul said, spend and be spent for you. I thought of C.T. Studd and I thought of that moment in the book when I read his wife came to Africa and saw him there. Um, just a shell of the man that she had married. Just between the poor sanitation, the malaria, the heat, the, in, the insects, all of that. He was just spending everything that he had for the gospel of Jesus Christ when he could have just stayed in England and lived a life of great ease. No retreat in C.T. Studd's life. One of my favorite characters that I've preached on it numerous times in the book of Philippians is Epaphroditus. The Bible says of Epaphroditus, Paul said that he was his brother in the faith, his companion in the labor, a fellow soldier. Paul said that he was the messenger and he ministered, Paul said, to my wants. And it says in Philippians that Epaphroditus he was nigh unto death for the gospel's sake. He almost died. He just gave it all. He served. He was selfless. Paul was a server. He was selfless. I kept back nothing, he said, that was profitable to you. I've showed you 
by example and by word. I taught you publicly, he said, from house to house, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. I preached the gospel. I gave it all. And thirdly, he was steadfast. He just kept going. He just kept going. One of the years that C.T. Studd came home to England in between India and Africa, he also went to college campuses. And he likened going to the mission field to going to war. By the way, this is, this is in the time where a lot of the hymns that we don't sing anymore were written. Old hymns like Onward Christian Soldier. It was kind of the theme then. The fight is on. Oh, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing. Victory is nigh. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. There was a militancy, a godly militancy. To go, to go, to go. I wonder if one of the reasons today that there are so few people going to the mission field is because we lack that. Just an older preacher preaching. There was a steadfastness. There was a spiritual warfare. Paul writes about a spiritual warfare all through the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6. Philem, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The armor of God. As has often been said when you study the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. There's nothing in that armor for your backside because there's no retreat in the Christian life. You just keep moving forward. Amen? A steadfastness. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need men and women, teenagers, steadfast, steadfast, faithful to Jesus, steadfast to the Word of God, steadfast in their Bible reading, steadfast in their prayer life, steadfast in their church attendance, steadfast in their financial commitment, steadfast to the things of God. Paul writes here, he says, listen, we didn't, we didn't read it, but he's going to say, listen, later on after I leave, grievous wolves are going to set in, or are going to come in. You be careful of that. Be steadfast. Just be serving the Lord. Serve Him. Be selfless. Put others first. Be steadfast. And then he says, listen, be successful in verse 24. First, he said this, none of these things move me. The bonds and afflictions in verse 23. None of these things move me. Neither account my life dear, just like C.T. Studd, so that I might finish my course that's success, that I might finish the course. You know, some years ago, I have a dear friend of mine who's about 10 years older than me, and I was in his church, and he preached a message, and he said at that time, I'm now entering 
the last lap of my ministry. You figure that's about where he was in life. I'm not sure I'm ready to reach the last lap of my ministry, but I'm kind of like, if it's a four-lap race, I'm probably near the end of the third lap. But I'll never forget a simple message he preached. I just want to finish strong. I want to finish strong, he said. He didn't know it at the time. But his wife was going to get very sick. And just not too long ago, she went home to be with the Lord. They had everything planned out. She was a nurse. And, and she got, I believe it was Alzheimer's. And things didn't quite work out the way that he thought that they were going to work out. But he's still faithful to the Lord. He's still serving the Lord. He's a steadfast man. He's a selfless man. He's a serving man. And he's a successful man if he'll just finish the course. Finish the course. Listen, many of you know it. There's just too many Christians today that serve and then they fall away and go on and do other things. Be steadfast, amen? Just be steadfast. I'm not saying you have to be like C.T. Studd and give up all that you have. And I said at the beginning, C.T. Studd is the life, and the life that he lived is the life that God called him to. And I'm not saying God calls everyone to that type of life. But God does call you to a life. Be steadfast in that life. Be selfless in that life. Be serving in that life. Be successful. Finish the course. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, a marath the most famous marathon in our part of the country is the Boston Marathon. If you've ever seen that on TV, you see hundreds, I guess thousands of people that Take off at the starting gate. But probably less than a handful expect to win that race. Success for the other thousands is just to finish the race. And it's true about you and I. We just need to finish the race. We need to end strong. The older that we get, we need to remember that. That's what success is. And then just be satisfied. Paul was satisfied. He said, I finished my course with joy. Joy. The joy that is set before us. Running with patience the race that is set before us. Paul writes there to the church in Philippi, and look on your handout, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. The joy of the Christian life. We're not always as joyful. I know that I'm not. Not always as joyful as we ought to be. But I have a feeling that I'd be a lot less joyful if I wasn't serving the Lord. And you read Paul's epistles as he writes back those churches that he started and those people that he had an influence on for the Lord's sake. And that was the joy that he had. 
So listen, if you don't want to retreat, be serving, be selfless, be steadfast, be successful, be satisfied with God, what God is doing in your life and where God has placed you in your life. Paul was always satisfied but hungry for more. It's kind of a strange thing there. And then lastly, be serious. What do I mean be serious? It doesn't mean you can't have fun, you can't have a good time. Because I like to have fun, I like to have a good time. But look what Paul says here in verse 25. Now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. When I say be serious, what I mean is this, and all of eternity hangs in the balance. Heaven and hell. Life and death. In the life of C.T. Studd, it took almost the death of his brother for him to get serious about his faith. We need to be serious. There are souls all around us that need to hear the Lord about the Lord. We need to be involved in that. The Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. It's great to have a good time and to enjoy ourselves and enjoy life. There's a serious aspect about all that we do here. People need to get saved. People need to hear the gospel. People are lost. God has given us a beautiful facility, a nice building, nice group of people. These are all good things. Some great fellowship. Many who are serving, appreciate that. Many who are very generous, appreciate that. But in the end, the seriousness is about lost people. People who are going to die and go to hell. And we need to take the gospel to them. Whether we do it personally, whether we send missionaries, uh, whether we pray for people, whether we invite people to church, that's the serious aspect about all that we're involved in. Eternity hangs in the balance and Paul said in his life here, listen, I've just taken my life and I've given it all to the Lord. I'm a bond slave to him. I mentioned William Booth. 25% of Stud's wealth went to William Booth and Salvation Army. Others, that was the theme of the Salvation Army. Others, 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 the selflessness. George Mueller, 25% to Mueller. It was about orphanages. Others, others, others. These were men historically and biblically who just were steadfast and moved forward and forward and they finished their course. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the words that we should desire to hear you and I. But I tell you this this morning as we're finished, if you're here today, this is the call that's been placed upon Christians' lives. But are you a Christian? Because eternity hangs in the balance. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you born again? Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die for the sins of all mankind. And when He hung on the cross, He died and paid for your sin. 
He was hanging on that tree for you. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're born into this world as sinners. Yet God has made a way. He sent His Son to shed His blood that our sins might be forgiven. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God is bringing conviction to your heart and understanding that you need Christ. You need to be saved. All that we just read about with regards to Paul and why he did what he did is because he understood eternity hung in the balance. Whether it was to the Jew or whether it was to the Gentile. He said to the, of the Jews in the book of Romans, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. But then he would go on to say in Romans chapter 10, but they, they have a righteousness that they've established on their own. They're not seeking God's righteousness. You and I can't seek righteousness. It comes through knowing Christ as our Savior. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, right now as we conclude this service, you can bow your head and your heart toward heaven. You have to understand that you're a sinner. You're lost. You have to believe that Jesus died and He paid for your sin on the cross. You need to call upon Him to be your Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved or are you lost this morning? If you're lost, call upon Him. Right where you sit. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. For you that don't know right now, it was after C.T. Studd and his two brothers heard the gospel. It was shortly after that that they had to make a decision. Every person must make a decision for Christ. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died and he paid for my sin. Please save me. I place my faith and trust in Jesus and what you did for me on the cross. You can pray that right now. For you that have made that decision already, are you serving? No retreat when you're serving. Are you steadfast? No retreat if you'll remain steadfast. You endeavor to be successful, finish the course. Serious about your Christian faith. I think there's a time in just about any person's life they have to get serious about their faith. Just spend some time and talk with the Lord about that. Father, thank you for the examples that you give us not only are these men and women of the past, men and women of today, who we also can look to to see our examples, some of the men and women in this church who are doing what Paul has called us to do, the men and women of the Bible, help us in this day and age to live for you, to love you, to lean upon you, to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. 
Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.